Welcome to the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. I'm Sean Borstrock, and on this episode, I'm joined by Sam Bompass of Bompass and Par. Sam focuses on storytelling and underlying narratives that define the experiences he and his team create. They explore the idea of gastronomical experiences around the world, including stories from the Incest Road in Saudi and an exploratory British menu of a carefully designed and curated AI experience created by a diverse melting pot of UK visionaries presented in New York. Join us for a fantastic insight into the vision and legacy of an architect of taste. Sam, welcome and thank you for joining us. Hello, hello. What a joy to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, hello, hello. I'm Sam Bompus and um, well, one part of the founders of Bomps and Palm. Um, I'm interested in storytelling, I'm interested in experiences and ravenous about food. And we combine a lot of those interests and more, particularly about, about the sensory, into the endeavors we do with Bombs and Power. Of course, now the studio is much wider in terms of expertise and and, and knowledge and, and people than than just the two of us. Um, so it's now a sort of lively ragtag bunch of creative producers, architects, chefs, mixologists, um, technologists and strategists trying to make things that basically delight people. How did you get into all of this? Uh, so uh, almost 15 years ago, her and I sat down and we effectively wanted to do something fun and stimulating on the weekend. And our answer to that was jelly. Um, because Harry at the time was training to be an architect, we and we couldn't afford the sorts of beautiful copper antique jelly molds he wanted to make these jellies we realized that he could use the techniques and the technology he'd been learning about in his architectural practice to design the molds we most wanted. And from there, the practice very sort of quickly accelerated using that sort of, that sort of ethos of quite often bringing in different disciplines into the realm of food and drink to create something genuinely new. So Initially, it was architectural jellies, um, which was surreal and magical, particularly as we worked with some of the world's best architects, people like Lord Rogers, um, uh, Lord Foster, designing jellies. Um, but then it was taking on that, that, that approach uh, to other aspects of, of food and drink, um, all really because we're coming at it as, as enthusiasts and amateurs rather than experts in, in that domain. So we had to use every means necessary to... to approach the the heights of culinary creativity that, that the sorts of chefs that we're working with would, would deliver so what's the most exciting thing about what you do yeah i think i think one of the things that i enjoy um about what we do is if there's something that you're interested in um or a person that you're curious about um you can normally find a, a means to uh, entice them into our studio and have a have a conversation which might develop into something. So, you know, to give by way of example, um, you, you know, over the next week I'll be speaking to a plant scientist who's interested in the interaction between um, uh, sound and uh, plant responses in the context of inter and intra species communication. Um, I find that completely fascinating i can't wait to see what that conversation is going to be like um we're going to be speaking with the chief creative officer of rockstar games from who made uh, grand theft auto with all the sort of controversy of that um to explore what a future might be um 
you know, so there there are opportunities to to um, create and commercialize what would otherwise be hobbies. Um, I don't want to talk the whole podcast about jelly, but I'm, I'm slightly fascinated. I could happily, I could happily talk the whole podcast about jelly. It's a... <laughs> I know it's. I've, I've just I find it fascinating that you know there's this whole world that you inhabit around a substance that is you know that you've turned into something really compli- complex and complicated yeah well i believe you can make any subject as complicated as you want it to be um and and you know we've got in our toolbox you're like well what let's look at the history of it and of course the history of jelly is is fascinating because it was once the most aspirational thing you could ever put on the table um and that's because um you're often using um uh fruits out of season which were expensive um you're using sugars which again um pre 19th century again very expensive as a luxury item um think about it making a jelly in a world pre-refrigeration so how do you how do you chill it down how do you 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 have to have an ice house for that and then just the labor to put it in before you had industrial gelatin um or gelling or some of the other gelling agents that that we use at the moment um you were having to clarify that which would be a 24-hour process um so it's it's it becomes incredibly um luxurious and sensual item um and, and very very elite so there's this whole realm of uh jellying and the meaning of jellies to that that can be uh, discovered um of course you can then start going into um the science of it and i've mentioned sort of jelling agents and um you know for us the the uh, 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 a non um meat based or meat synthetic uh, jelling agent also always been the holy grail and and actually people are getting very very close to to doing that um to discovering that and and also we've come up with um some mixtures of uh, gelans and alkanets that that can approach the textural mouthfeel the sort of silky lustrousness that, that that releases flavor very quickly that gelatin does but it's not quite there yet we need that we need the we need the um uh molecular biology to to help us over that final final hillock going back to your question earlier i i really believe and we try and have this through the studio this idea that there's magnificence in the mundane and you can take almost any subject and um with with the right application research speaking to the right experts uh find total interest in it that will engage almost anyone um you know that that that's and that's often what we're asked to do by um say for example the brand clients that that we're working with so you know he's taking heinz baked beans what's interesting about this this product or or guinness um these are or these are products that many people have had vast amounts of experience with and, and actually have a lot of knowledge of so how can you find something new that represents them to to people's eyes and, and gives them a naked lunch that helps them see what's on the end of their fork or, or in their glass and I, I suppose it must be really amazing being in the position you're in now to be able to explore all of that uh you know the world is is in effect your oyster where you know you can you know like you've said pick up a can of baked beans or um oh i don't know any other well it doesn't even have to be an ingredient it doesn't have to be an edible does it because you can do anything with anything in effect yeah and, and i guess that i guess that stood us in good stead with the um over the last two years because two years ago i had effectively an events business <laughs> which there weren't a lot of events 
um, but it was taking the working methodology of, of um, research, of storytelling, of engaging with with experts, and you can apply that really to any any creative problem. Um, you know, be it in the realm of arts, be it in the realm of um, uh, marketing, be it in the realm of commerce, be it in the realm of, of, of lived experience in theatre, um, and and um, yeah, that may, that that. Yeah, <laughs> it does make for a, a swashbuckling and, and stimulating life. The next show that we're doing off our own bat is about puke as a indices of societal recovery. So puke specifically on the streets of London um, as a gauge of people going out and eating and drinking to excess, so excessive that they have to um, uh, vomit. Uh, and so, but it's, it's seeing this as a sort of uh, viscous, shiny, lustrous mucilage mirror um, reflecting, reflecting economic recovery um, in a joyful way, um, and, and yeah, celebrating the city. Where do you come up with these ideas? I think we have we have a sort of vast panoply of tools that help us arrive at ideas. Um, yeah, within the studio, we do a lot of co-creating, um, and you know, actually, in, in reality, a lot of that revolves around Excel spreadsheets these days that are shared. And, you know, we'll have a we'll have a brief. Um, everyone will whap down their best ideas anonymously in the spreadsheet. We'll then look at what we think resonates and either either upvote some or, or someone will curate the, the best. We'll then winnow them out and look at some of the some of the production around it. Um, so yeah, creativity via Excel, but that does that does allow people to um think about ideas in their own time to then hero them if we talk about them in the round. Um, it also allows ideas to come to the surface from all areas of the studio, whether people are introverts or extroverts, um, how they like working, what time of day they like working. Um, you know, then hopefully the best idea triumphs and um, is, is the future forward that, that we can do. And we also do a lot of research. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, collaboration with scientists be they geologists historians archaeologists um historians of science um and trying to find future ideas um working with technologists to see what the latest innovations are with screen technology and how we can bring that into the realm of food and drink uh it's doing a lot of reading as well so we've got a very very extensive studio library that's based on the uh london library so it's got the sort of whole sort of taxonomy of um uh, you know, ideas. Although starting to problematize that because I just found out how how problematic the Dewey Decimal System is once you start looking at it. Um, but it does mean that you've got you know shelf marks of uh, mystical plants, psychedelics, the occult, art, photography, architecture, um, world fairs, and you know when those different realms cross pollinate one another. Uh, you can arrive at the innovative and unusual. I mean, I mean, it's interesting we're talking about luxury. We we rather like doing things that are involves practices, perhaps from the luxury industry, or might involve luxury brands. We do lots with the likes of um, yeah LVMH with like Hermes, um, but but also we like doing things for. Um, you know that anyone can come to for a, a, a you know very very reasonable amount. It might be a fiver, um, 
and yes, it's in some ways we sort of think of ourselves as sort of like a, a Robin Hoods of luxury, using <laughs> using the commercial clout and and muscle of um, you know sort of luxury brands and a, a creative concept that allows anyone basically to have an extraordinary experience. And I, and, and I far prefer doing that than you know, for example, one of the briefs I'm um, working on at the moment is to do a wedding party for um uh one of india's richest family now actually this sort of brief bores the hell out of me um because you're making something special for one day for for um people that see everything all the time you know how do you how do you give them a sense of awe and wonder and do they really care um and also it's so elitist like why why can't we do things that anyone can come to and and have an impact in culture rather than delighting a few of a very small number of people so the things that i'm excited about are how can you do how can you create experiences that that you know change the way change the way that that people engage with you know often things that are very you know rather mundane and, and you've seen that with a lot of our practice in food and drink i wouldn't claim that we've changed the relationship with people and food but while we've been working food for the last 15 years ago and when we started um food in britain food in london had a terrible reputation globally um now uh london is arguably one of the very foremost food cities on the planet um and um you know food has entirely changed in status um and you know that that impacts on our, our, our well I mean, part of that has been the inspiration for but also the driving force the ongoing project to create a british museum of food a new cultural institution all about food and drink where people can have the same sorts of um experiences and exhibitions and, and sense of learning um that that you might have at the vna or or, or the design museum because I, I, mean, I, I agree. I mean, I think luxury is not necessarily about the cost of something, but it's about how you experience it. Yeah, I, mean, I, I guess it's related to storytelling. Ultimately, um, I think as adults or as children, like the, <laughs> the thing we spend most of our time doing is ex- exchanging stories. And they could be stories about business. If you're seeking investment, they could be um, in leisure time, consuming uh, video games or cinematic media. Um, and... You know, really, what I like spending my time doing is is discovering or uncovering stories and finding ways to present them in which you, as an audience member, get to become the the hero of your own story, um, which becomes part of your life and part of your 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 group and your friends or your lovers or your family's mythos and the tales you tell each other. And so that can be putting a a, a boating lake in the Denzians of uh, Westfield where you go boat through a waterfall to become to be served uh, cocktails by merman mixologists swimming in a tank as they shake their cocktail tins for you um, but you know with within that you're you're having an experience that perhaps brings you closer to someone um, perhaps you fall in it's the most immersive experience possible um, do you get to explore or perform aspects of your identity as you do that. So you're the sort of uh, valiant captain of the boat pushing on. Are you um, the 
the squeamish cabin boy worried about <laughs> getting getting overwhelmed as you boat through the waterfall what's your what's your what's your what's your role how do you take it how do you explore the story well that could go in many directions <laughs> of course <laughs> yeah i mean the more the more agency the thing i i really enjoy doing is giving people agency within the installations that we create and um of course, a lot of this comes from food. So with food, the thing I like about it is relative to other disciplines or other areas of knowledge, everyone by and large is an expert in food. Everyone knows what they like. Everyone knows, um, everyone eats regularly. They might not consume art as regularly as they consume food. So it means that people have a very, very valid and a very informed opinion. Um, and so that becomes like a, a phenomenal medium with which to, to explore. Also, food just stimulates all this. You know, you give, give people something full of sugar, fat, salt, and give people a very visceral experience that makes their brain light up with endorphins. So it's 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 a good place to start. Do you think that the customer or those the the people that experience these experiences that you provide, do you think they um, appreciate the complexity of the journey that you created for them? Uh, well, I don't. I don't think that matters. The the thing because we're we're thinking about hospitality. Anything in hospitality is incredibly complex. It's very very hard to do hospitality well in in any restaurant scenario. And ultimately, what it comes down to is, did people have a marvelous time that they bonded with their friends? And and that's 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 what you get. Sadly, for better or worse, that's what you get. That's what you get judged on, um, and so that's what you've got to do. And, and it, it does mean that it becomes harder to explore uh, negative emotions or experiences. I appreciate that it's the end result that counts, but within a within a luxury context, or it's not only a luxury context within any within any context, I always feel that the end user of whatever it might be misses out on part of the narrative where um the complexity of the of the implementation is somewhat lost because um it happens much more in the background yeah and uh, you know i do i do agree to a certain extent <laughs> but also often um when we're creating an experience um there'll be TV crews like the BBC will want to come and see it all happening, see all the magic. How does how do these how do these extraordinary things like making flavour fireworks where a quarter of a million people have a New Year's Eve fireworks show for all of London set to flavour? Um, so you see red fireworks, you taste strawberries. How does this all happen? And the, the reality of it all happening is is um rather less exciting to watch than anything you might imagine. Because by and large, it's people on telephones looking at computer screens, having meetings, and all the sorts of functionalities that if you work in in many many offices, um, you would find very familiar. So it's 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 you know what's happening in our studio, albeit there's a workshop, albeit there's um, a kitchens, and you see what happens when those spaces come together. But by and large, a lot of the other things that happen are the same things that happen in a law firm or an accountancy business practice um and that's that's not least because we have to manage contracts and we have to have to look at billing as well so it's it's not it's not 
you know, there is there is a sort of joy and magic with it. And so sometimes we'll look at doing behind the scenes to try and hero some of those stories. Um, but it comes, you know, the most important thing for me is people's experiences rather than the artwork. It's the artwork itself. And, you know, people are curious about other people. It's, it's, yeah, that's, that's, I think when you ask, that's what the joys of the work that we get to do is that's, that's it. It's, you get to, yeah, when you're curious about someone, you can send them a spurious email, <laughs> which hopefully they'll read, which uh, you can say, please come to the studio. We'll feed you something weird. And um, there's a working cocktail organ and um, <laughs> there's, there's probably something going on. I mean, last, 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 this time last week, we held a, a, a giant crisp tasting, which we had 50 different flavors of crisps for a comparative um, gourmet crisp session. With everything from cucumber crisp, which I just conceptually find bananas. <laughs> Can you imagine a, a potato enrobed in a cucumber? It's bizarre. To a, a salt, the best crisp is a salted egg yolk flavored crisp, which was, you know, lingered on and on and on in a sort of sulfurous <laughs> tone. It was, it was just brilliant. It was really good. I think there, I think, I think there was something for work in there. I'm not quite sure. It might have just been for the fun of it. How do you? communicate luxury do you think the work you do is luxurious do you think that the experience is luxurious uh i I know i know this is about luxury but i would say we don't particularly worry about luxury um but we worry about caliber of experience so by way of example um if we're working with um you know food in the realm of food and drink um and we're putting on a show and we want to give people uh, something to drink. Um, you know, I would be, you know, the launch of a private view, quite often you just get bad red wine and like metallic tasting whites that are just utterly horrid and probably tepid as well. Um, with that, we would benchmark anything that we're serving against whatever's being served at the very best cocktail bars in the world and um, want that level of glassware. So, um yeah and and ingredients as well um so so it ends up being luxurious but that's just because you set a um do a lot of benchmarking around whatever we're doing just so we so it can be good um but we wouldn't want it there to be sort of sometimes sort of breathless snobbery around it you know in in the realm of food and drink i've got no interest in going to a multi-course tasting menu i'd rather go and have some fast casual good food with good people that i like that there's excellent conversation around the table i think it's much more interesting and i wonder if that's part of a kind of re thinking about what luxury is you know even though this is about luxury i mean most of the conversations are not really about luxury they're really about the people and the work they do um, and how they gauge in the communities around them which I think is interesting. Um, but I wonder, do you think your customers um, or those who experience the experiences you provide them, do you th- they think it's luxury? Uh, well, it's often their leisure time. So the, the, the things that we're doing are uh, things that people with, do with their discretionary time. So I often think you're not just, you're not just benchmarking against, um, say, if we're doing a food experience, so we're just out in Alala, um, the world's largest world heritage site, um, 
And there we created a restaurant where we cooked with uh, lavas, 1,350 degrees. It was all to talk about the, the terroir and how uh, the local rock formations have an impact not only on the ingredients, but also on the architecture, because there they have a, a, a mixture. So it's the center of historic Nabatalian civilization. There they have a mixture of sedimentary rock, and which is soft, and um, igneous extrusive rock, which is very hard. That meant that um, over thousands of years, um, they used the hard rock to create extraordinary funerary architecture at Hegra and, and basically these beautiful tombs shaped into the rocks. Um, and then also it went on to um, shape what could be grown and what could be traded um, along the incense road, where it's an important, it's important central focus point. Um, so you know in that case we're creating um a, 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 a lava banquet which is fantastical it's a story but when we're benchmarking against with that we're not just looking at other restaurants around the world or or, or in that region um we're looking at anything anyone could be doing with their spare time which could be debating politics it could be um you know going on uh a, a, a trip up uh, a, a mountain and communing with nature it could be um doing their own cooking and and consumption for or hosting a dinner so or, or reading um uh, interesting articles in whatever their choice journal is so it's, it's you know it's luxurious and that <laughs> you could be doing anything else on the planet you choose to do that well and that's the luxury isn't it yeah it's a lu luxury of choice it's a luxury of time it's a luxury of um uh, you, you know, spending uh, your resources in a way that um, might delight you, might impress other people, creating moments of, of joy and wonder and spectacle are important too. I mean, what's 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 the point of living without joyous memories that bring people together around around the table? Like you know, if you look back at the high points of my life, it's often. <laughs> It's, you know, it's, it's a decadent moment as being seven years old and going to see medieval times where knights joust and do battle and smash each other in the face with maces as you eat chicken of the castle. I mean, it's totally joyful. I suppose for me, this idea of luxury has been so um, bastardized <laughs> for a better word. You know, th there's no value in something that is very special anymore in terms of description and i suppose you as a as somebody who's really interested in the narrative and the storytelling uh you know being able to cr create that narrative uh and tell that story is uh is an amazing thing because you're taking somebody out of you know they, the the day-to-day -day being and transporting them to something that is quite extraordinary yeah, and if it's if it's done in the right way, they're enabled to experiment with different ideas about who they are um, for an hour or two. They're able to perform those ideas to a level to which they're comfortable with. It's 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 you know going beyond immersive theatre to I believe the the term is reactive theatre, um, in which the audience has lines that can interact with one another um, as well as. So, and we just did a piece like that out in um, New York, and this is for the Great Campaign, which is how Britain presents itself to the world. And, and 
one of the stories we want to tell that I, I thoroughly believe in is you know, what are the things that make Britain special? Well, creativity, innovation, a lot of that comes through lots of different people rubbing shoulders together, sitting down. And, and, and I like, you know, yeah, let's just sort of problematize the idea of creativity quite often in, in agencies or practices. It's seen as this sort of special, precious, flighty bird that needs to be protected. And some people are blessed with this, this halo that that sits above them because they're the special creatives. And I think that's that's all a load of bollocks. Anyone can come up with a good idea. Um, and if you if you listen in in conversations that are happening in pubs on a Friday night across the land, there are many brilliant ideas. Um, and only a fraction of those brilliant ideas are ever realized because you then need to sadly spend six months to three years trudging away <laughs> through all, through all, through all the drudgery of, of of production to make it to make it a reality alongside having the um the resources and the structures that enable you to to be supported through that which which you know that that actually is a, a, a real luxury um so you know i'm 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 interested in in how within that we can give people transformative moments which which they have agency like this show that we did in new york yeah i was going to ask you about new york and so and saudi i was going to ask you because it's a slightly different journey you you're on from the jelly yeah exactly so so in new york with that to, to really showcase the brilliance of, of britain i i think what makes britain phenomenal is we've got this very very deep history um and lots of people from the past to be inspired by so interesting minds from the past like sadly you can't call up everyone that you're inspired by because some of them are dead but we worked out a way to 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 be able to approach that um by building ais of some real pioneering and iconic britons so everyone from william shakespeare to mary seacole agatha christie and charles darwin and then using the ais we worked with very strong improv actors who so that you could have dinner with this ultimate fancy dinner party with like the world's best brits <laughs> you could then sit in front of an actor who's embodying that and have a conversation with them and the actor would respond to you using both their skills as an improviser so the human element but also with lines and prompts fed by the ai into their inner earpiece into the tablet in front of them and the results actually were very incredibly funny. It was it was hilarious. And um, this is because, I mean, the challenges with AI is, is it can give you some um, very out there responses that they're in the style, but they quickly lose context. The actor, of course, who's at the table can provide context and also agency for that voice. Then within this, you as a guest are able to ask Shakespeare, whatever you'd like. You're asking. There was a deep conversations about morality, mortality, um, the best murder weapons for Agatha Christie, um, the situation in the Crimea for um, for Mary Seacole, who did a lot of her work there, um, and you know, just it just gives audiences. Um, you know, they're no longer an audience, but they're 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 now the the driving force. They're the they're the actors. They're the performers themselves, and I think that's that's exciting because they get to learn about themselves a little bit. Hopefully, if we do the right thing. 
for me, a big driving force is just looking at like, God, what's on in London? Looking at it, just going, God, this is even in London, this could be a bit more imaginative. And then, <laughs> and then trying to find the stuff that 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 wouldn't bore us, but also within the context of everything else that's happening, it, it's. If you want to write a hit song, it has to sound like all the other songs, but be a bit different, and then it's a hit. The same happens with experiences. If it's too, if it's too weird, like it can just be uh, very hard for people to understand. Oh, that's interesting. Why is that? Because they don't have any. It becomes slippery. It, like the idea becomes oily, and they can't grasp it. So some of the things that we've done, um, which are too out there or maybe even too prescient or too complex have had less impact than things that are perhaps much closer to the cultural norms at any one time that's a factor of communicate that's a factor of communication as well right well i mean it's just everett everett is it everett rogers um innovation curve so it depends it depends what you want to do um you can be right at the far end of it if you want to do something that's very, very innovative, um, people probably won't be that excited by it, um, relatively speaking. If it's really innovative, it probably won't make you any money um, at that point, but you might learn a lot that you can start to deploy as it becomes much more into a cultural norm. Or if you want to make money and be famous, do something that is much more recognizable to people in, within their context, um, but you probably won't learn as much, albeit the yeah. You know, well, you can always learn a lot, but it might be lessons about uh, business or customer experience rather than uh, like technological innovation, for example. I want to ask you a bit about technology because uh, so you've been in business for nearly fifteen years. How's technology changed how you work or impacted on um, what you're able to do? I think technology by itself is not the end. It's just it's just adding more tools to the toolbox and allowing you to enhance your productivity or the spectacle at the endpoint. So a good good example of this is um, for many years we'd normally employ two graphic designers in the studio who would do all the decks that went out of the studio and and you know we've got probably an important presentation going out of the studio uh, a couple times a day. Um, the changes in programs and availability of images um, and you know, making them much more intuitive now means that anyone in the studio um, can make decks. We still have graphic designers, but they're able to spend their time coming up with really interesting new uh, approaches to the graphics and graphic treatments that flow across the projects and spend much more of their time doing um uh, creative work rather than just laying 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 things out. Um, so that's useful because we can make <laughs> we can do more interesting work and and less drudge work. And what about the tech you use? You were talking about AI and this the event you did in New York. I mean, because there's emergent tech that's coming. You know, whether it's AI or um, augmented reality, um, virtual reality. I mean, how do you engage with all of that? Uh, again, it's just, it's just, they're just more tools to enable us to create a new effect. So sure, AI is interesting, but, um, the thing that we wanted to do was use it to be able to facilitate you having a conversation with Shakespeare over, um, a beautiful jelly dessert <laughs> that was wobbling away and glowing, uh, because it's all backlit and, and, um, had a nitro 
ice cream that exploded in your mouth um, as you're as you're asking the bar any burning questions that that you desired. Um, and you know, by way of example, you can see uh, look at technology and food. So about when we started was the glory days of molecular gastronomy. Now, effectively, a lot of the things that happened in molecular gastronomy weren't new. It was just high-end chefs adopting food processing techniques that were quite normal in uh, factory or mass production and then applying them using their sort of artisanal practice um, in Michelin-style cooking. So examples of that are things like um, sous vide or using sodium alginate gums or using liquid nitrogen to, to quickly freeze stuff. Useful, the useful elements of that, for example, the consistency that, that um, using uh, uh, sous vide brings to the feet have persisted. No one's going to be impressed if the chef's like, oh, by the way, I sous vide that. It's just a normal cooking technique now because it's useful. Um, and it allows kitchens to more consistently output good food. So that's the, those are the bits of technology that we like. Like, How can we get another effective tool in our toolbox to give people a better end experience and make our life easier in doing it? Food now follows the wheel of fashion and it's ever accelerating. Um, to give people pinnacle food experiences um, there's always a new means of performing labor in which to do that, which also sets, sets apart the very high-end cuisine from others. So, you know, whereas 15 years ago, um, that might have been molecular astronomy, of which the equipment and the techniques and the liquids, the knowledge to do it is expensive uh, or time-consuming to acquire or requires a, a, an extensive um, network. Um, more recently, with people like Noma coming to the fore, they're using the best bits of that. They wouldn't even talk about it. Um, but they're developing knowledges around um, artisanal ferments. But with uh, there was the whole sort of foraging trend. Now, of course, foraging, really, what what is going on with that? Um, it, it's it's um, well-paid chefs performing labor for you for their meal um you know they go to they have to serve all night and now they have to get up early as well um flagellating themselves as they creep across the landscape looking for tiny herbs um for your jaded and to delight your jaded and experienced palate um it really is a performance of of, of um labor to make food more elitist um so that you can justify paying more for it um and yeah, as that becomes as that becomes normalised, we're also problematised as well. It's incredible again, it's an incredibly uh, decadent way of doing things, um, especially when we have a very effective global food system that lets us eat food out of season, which is a privilege. Like you know, what's in the average larder now, um, or accessible to the average person, used to used to be the sorts of um, richness and variety that once only uh, potentates kings and. <laughs> princes and and uh heads of state could could ever aspire to um so you know i think it's pretty ridiculous to revolt against it but um yes yeah, however however anyone gets their sort of refined and aesthetic kicks uh you can buy um foraging kits on amazon though but anyway <laughs> <laughs> which is the thing that no one needs right yeah. i mean although although you might need some instructions you don't poison yourself yeah i mean the good thing good thing about the global food system is at least there's some at least there's some um 
uh, oversight over it. Yeah. In terms of in terms of not poisoning yourself. Well, a lot of the, a lot of the sensory apparatus that that we have came about because to stop you killing yourself through eating the wrong thing. Um, and and that that's where um, yeah, a primary function of taste and smell is, and why might not like bitterness. It's why it's why it's why digestion used to be such an important topic of conversation in um, uh, liter- literature of, of um, uh, past centuries. They're always asking each other how how their digestion was, and that's because I think by and large people felt ill most of the time. But we've now yeah we now now by putting things through um, uh, food system with oversights and checks, you should hopefully. Not, not, not feel as poorly. You know, albeit, albeit, there are the challenges with some of the hyper-processed foods. What would a luxury be, experience be for you? I guess in terms of experience, I can I can talk about it in in terms of experiences, and I can talk about it in terms of items. In terms of experience, I'm a big advocate of um, what Gordon Selfridge once said, which is there's nothing as fun as work. And you know, I growing up, you know, when you do your French oral exams you have to ask what you want you have to answer things like what you want to be with when you grow up and i i i never really was able to put much enthusiasm behind that because i had had absolutely no idea what it was um and you know i've had the i've had the luxury and and the privilege of being able to basically commercialize what i want to do all the time um and find interesting people to do it with and that and that's that's fantastic and and what I try and spend a lot of my time doing is is helping the people I work with have those experiences, albeit within our practice or outside of it. Um, you know, giving them the agency to make make decisions because being able to make decisions is exciting. Um, the second bit on an object would be a fountain pen. <laughs> so I'm holding a gold-topped, bleak-nibbed Parker 51. Um, and it, it, you know, I'm writing in a purple sheening ink, um, which gives a, a slight greenish tinge to the edges of the ink as well. And it means that making notes at any meeting is an unrelenting joy. Yeah. Anyway, I, I love it. Um, I've got my my grandfather's Parker Fifty One. Oh, they're extraordinary! Like yeah. what, what what beautiful objects. Sam Bompas, thank you so much for joining us on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. Thank you so much. It's been, <laughs> Sean, it's been a total, total delight speaking to you. And, um, I think fun comes very interesting things. Thank you for joining us, Sam. Thank you to our listeners. And thank you to our partner, Intellect Books. Join us next time on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. <laughs>